Welcome to the podcast, Inside Out. If this is your first time joining us, this is a story that you've arrived in the middle of. It's best to start at episode one. This is season two, My Life Inside a Federal Prison Camp. Season one is the truth is the first victim. And it would be best if you started season one, episode one, and worked your way through. New episodes drop every Sunday. We're so glad you're here. This is Inside Out. I'm your host, James Catledge. Welcome aboard. Okay, I'm going to take you to the uh, turnstile of uh, FCI Taft. Located in Taft, California. So the day comes for self-surrender. The instructions are clear. The, the prison itself has uh, responded to me on a phone call that I should be there before 11 a.m. Or they may have to keep me overnight at the low, which is a higher graded security facility. Maybe not as pleasant as the camp. Now, we're, ta- we're, you know, we're, we're talking about the difference between, you know... Uh, two, two federal prisons, right? So it's all bad. But b- bottom line is their suggestion is, is written down in my calendar as uh, wise. So I'm going to be there before 11. So I drive from San Diego after buttoning up all my affairs in California, saying goodbye to my kids, hugging my kids, telling them how much I love them. And there's the opportunity for visitation on a monthly basis so that you can see your family. And I'll go through that in a later episode, how visitation works, how I'm going to stay connected to friends and family. Very, very important that you understand that. But today we're going to self-surrender. And so I wake up at my mother's home in Las Vegas on uh, April 19th, and it's time to put my brother in the car, and it's the three of us. The three of us, you know, it was the three of us as little guys. My mom raised my brother and I. And here we go. We're taking Big Brother to federal prison today, which is such a crazy thing. So we're driving from Las Vegas to basically Bakersfield and then on to Taft. Taft probably 30 minutes from Bakersfield. But we're in that desert area of Bakersfield, California, just on the north side of Los Angeles by a couple of hours. So uh, I'm ready to go. I'm mentally ready. I slept real good the night before. And so the whole drive over, I'm making phone calls to friends. Of course, I'm my last phone calls are my kids. We go to some sloppy restaurant in Taft, California. Uh, before I check in, we uh, I get that phone call from Michael. He's encouraging me that this is all positive, Michael Santos, and I can do this. And it's such a thoughtful phone call, right? Uh, who thinks to call somebody on their way to federal prison? If you ever meet somebody who's got this experience, Maybe it's a good idea to call them that day because that, that, that was a lifetime positive memory for me. So it's time. We pull into the very ominous and intimidating federal prison front gates. You're to check in at the low. That's where the processing is to check in new inmates. So I walk in in my street clothes. My mother's with me. My brother's with me. And uh, the guard says immediately, uh, you guys need to come over here and sit down in the lobby. It's where the vending machines are. Uh, it looks like kind of a guest waiting room, you know. So 
So we're sitting there. He comes over. He's got a podium. He slides in front of him. And he's standing behind a podium that he's just temporarily moved over. And he's talking from behind this temporary post. A little odd, to be honest with you, because there's just three of us there. And he's behind this podium. And he says, uh, step forward, please. He's talking to me. And he says, I'd like you to say goodbye to your family. And, uh, you know, this is a little emotional. So I, I give mom a big hug. She's very sad. You know, it's, it's almost too much to bear. I, I can't imagine leaving for the parking lot while leaving my kid inside a federal prison. I, I just can't conceive it. But this poor woman's got to do this. And my brother's good. He's there to encourage mom and, and be a support to her. So this guy, we say goodbye to the family. And now it's just this guy and I, the guard. Big tall guy, probably six foot five, I guess. And um, and of course, I'm completely compliant. And yes, sir, no, sir. You know, it's just my personality. And uh, I've got my Bible there. I've got a couple of photographs. I've got an email list of all the people I want to communicate with while I'm in there phone numbers and stuff. And he says, look, why don't you tuck that in your Bible? Not supposed to have extra paper here. So I, he, he kindly lets me tuck that in my Bible. Then uh, we're off to do the unsavory task of processing me in. So they take my clothes. I'm completely naked in a dressing room, in, kind of in this back area. Uh, they bring me an orange jumpsuit, literally, a lot, just like you see on TV. It's a little snug, but it fits. Uh, before I can put it on, he needs to check me. Now, I'm going to get a little graphic here. I've, not, I've never done this checking before, but the bottom line is they've got to know I'm not bringing weapons into this facility. And so I have to squat down completely naked and cough. Apparently, the coughing, if, I, if I've somehow got some sharp object it will eject itself when i cough i guess i guess that's the idea so i do that i'm cleared he gives me the jumpsuit i put that on and now we're doing photographs we're doing real real mug shots now we're we're doing photographs for my internal prison identification we're doing photographs for my permanent record and what they call a central file so we do that. They do another DNA swab right there. I'd done one initially with the FBI when I was arraigned that day in the bottom of the courthouse. But today we're doing another one for the Bureau of Prisons. And so they're starting to build their file on me. My PSR is forwarded to the prison. That's the pre-sentencing report that identifies my story, my life, my education, my family, any uniquenesses medically, you know, any oddities that they need to be aware of if they're going to house me and basically be my custodians for the next five years. They got to know everything about me. So they've got that report. So my file is pretty thick. Every inmate's file is pretty thick. So I then am pushed into a celled waiting room. It's, it's There's a cell now there. It's clear now I am a prisoner. I'm, I'm sitting on a steel bench inside a cell. It's very dirty, very dirty. There is a bathroom in there. I should say a hole to use the bathroom in, uh, and, you know, th this is not a well-kept situation. Uh, it, it, it's clear I am to recognize I am no longer afforded the luxuries of a free man. I am incarcerated. So I'm probably at 35, 40 minutes.
They come get me and take me to a psychologist. I say, and by the way, any interface with another human being is really a positive because there's a lot of isolation. There's a lot of by yourself. There's a lot of concrete. There is no upholstery. There is no seats with cushions. I mean, this is all hardcore stuff. And I've been, you know, slowly, I can feel it sliding off me, the the soft life I had, the luxurious life I had, the, the life of ease that I had. And uh, frankly, all of us have. Uh, that is being stripped away slowly, gently, uh, but I'm feeling it. Uh, so I meet with psychiatrist. I meet with the doctor. We go through the routine questions to make sure I don't have some disease or some sickness that could affect the general population of this facility. After several hours of this back and forth between different professionals, uh, uh, they come and get me a big correction officer. I'll never forget his name. His name is Grantham because I got to know him later. Grantham says, you ready? And he's a big guy, big bearded guy. Looks like he's in the band ZZ Top, if you can visualize it. We now walk out front to that lobby where I initially started with my mother and brother. Then we walk through those doors out into the parking lot where I said, you know, basically walked in earlier that day. And we jump in a little pickup truck that I assume is owned by this man. I, it doesn't look like a Bureau of Prisons truck and doesn't look official, but it's like a little bitty pickup truck that he barely fits in. And I fit in okay. And he's a huge man. And uh, uh, he looks over at me, and he's kind of a gruff-looking guy. And he looks over at me, and of course, I'm completely intimidated by this process. And he says, are you Okay. I looked right at him like, are you sincerely concerned? And, and I said out loud, I said, I said, I think so. And he said, are you nervous? I said, I'm totally nervous. He said, well, don't be. And now he's driving this truck as he's talking. He looks right at me, he says, don't be. He says, where I'm taking you back to this camp, I've been here 27 years. The finest men I've met in my life are back in that camp. He said it just like that. And I thought, what a statement. What a thing to say. And I thought, either you've got a very limited circle of friends, or this is going to be a really interesting experience. But I trusted this guy. There was a warmth to him. There was a warmth to his guidance. There was a warmth to his encouragement. So we get back there. We walk through the front doors. And remember, I'm in this parking lot where I parked a few weeks earlier with my girlfriend and we had kind of looked around to kind of familiarize myself with this so that the day it happens, I would be comfortable. Well, we're back in that parking lot. We jump out. He's holding doors for me. We go through what we call camp control, which is like a visitor center where visitation occurs with your family. And we walk right through the doors of visitation. Now I'm out into the prison camp yard and it's got housing units on the right. And on the left is the cafeteria, the library, the laundry, uh, education room, the library. And as I look across, there's baseball fields, soccer fields. There's a dirt track. There's looks like maybe a racquetball court, an area where men are lifting kind of quasi weights that they've they've manufactured that don't look like real weights. They've they've created some type of homespun uh, exercise yard. Well. He, he literally walks me five paces out into this massive courtyard and says, 
You're in the A unit, which is the second building. Good luck. You're home now. And I thought, well, I don't know if I want to feel like I'm home yet. I don't know that I'm comfortable calling this home. But as I make that lonely, probably 140 steps to the A unit, he's also given me an address of 33 low, which is, I guess, the bed unit. I'll have to figure that stuff out when I get inside the A unit, which is a two-story building that holds 88 men on each each floor. There's two two floors. The A unit is, is downstairs. The B unit is upstairs. The other building is C and D, but 88 men can be housed on each floor. So as I enter the, I, I, I make this walk. I just want you to know my thoughts. As I make this walk, I'm thinking, you know what? I can do this. And there's men kind of hanging out over the balcony of the second floor of both the housing units, kind of staring. They can tell I'm the new guy because I've got these blue shoes on, which are given to the new inmates as they as they make their way uh, to, to the camp. They haven't bought shoes yet. See, these are the giveaway shoes, the free shoes, the uncomfortable, flat, no arch shoes. And so everybody knows the new, new fish has arrived. And so as I make that lonely walk, I'm thinking to myself, you can do this, pull your shoulders back, pull your head up, look at the horizon. The, the, there's good men in here. The best men Grantham's ever met in his life are in here. I've got to figure out where they are, (laughs) which housing unit are they in? I'm hoping to God they're in the A unit. Well, as I walk in, I'm immediately greeted. Immediately, I, I would say within five steps of walking the indoors from the outdoors, I walk right into the A unit. A guy says, hey, new guy, I'm Johnny Walker. Come with me. What's your address? And I said, I, I, is he talking about my home address? No, he wants that 33 low, that 33L. So I give him that. He, take, he says, let me take you to where you're going. I think this is like some type of greeter at the A unit. I'll tell you more about Johnny Walker, my first day in federal prison, when we come back. This is James Catlins with Inside Out. So this is day one of federal prison camp, Taft, California. Obviously, this is a scary day for me. It's, I'm nervous. I'm, I'm a little excited to meet the new people, honestly. Um, I do have uh, an extreme amount of confidence going into this place, just because Naturally, I'm a confident person, but I've been reassured by men who have been there but between Aaron and Michael, and uh, I, I just feel like I can manage this. I've been through difficult things. I've been through circumstances which seem uncertain, and, and I, I feel like I can navigate pretty quickly, and so I'm not going to let this overwhelm me. Uh, so Johnny Walker says, let me show you uh, to 33 low. So he walks me this is like a warehouse. It's literally like a Costco without all the good stuff in it. It's it's probably, I would say our ceilings are somewhat open. They're probably 20, 22, 23 feet high. You can see the air conditioning system and the pipes and all the stuff in the, in the sky. It's a concrete building, one of these prop up concrete buildings, uh, concrete floors. And, and, and the housing is not bunk beds. It's all cubicles. So, the walls are five foot high, and there is no front door on any of the cubicles. There's no bars or any cells or anything like that because we're in a camp. So th- there's two configurations for camp, as I understand it. There's the bunk bed where all the bunks are kind of out in the open, and you just kind of, you know, you're just kind of sleeping in a barracks, like a military barracks. And then there's the cubicle style, which is where I'm at. And there's 80 
eight of these cubicles, number one through 88, and I'm in 33 low. Now, inside the cubicle, as I step in it, I realize I'm right across from the bathrooms. Now, the bathrooms are not like you pop a door open and go to the restroom, and it's got the handicap sign on the front door. There are no doors on these bathrooms. Imagine an airport bathroom where when you walk in, there's people coming out, and it's kind of a, a cost of inflow and exit of people. There's probably eight toilets and probably 10 urinals, and it looks like maybe 20 showers, 10 on one side, 10 on the other. And uh, so that's, I'm directly across from the bathrooms. They call my unit, my 33 low address, Flushing Meadows, because all night long, you're going to hear the toilets flush as men get up, pop up in the middle of the night, need to go to the bathroom. So the other uncomfortably unique thing about Flushing Meadows is the lights stay on in the bathroom. So even when the lights are off, in the A unit so everyone can sleep. I'm up by the bathrooms, literally across the hall. So so when I lay down on my back, I am facing the entrance to the bathrooms. And so all that light is just, you know, coming right into my eyes. So 33 low is not a great address. It's certainly uh, not one grand Anna Capri. Let's put, let's put it that way. Well, there's a Korean man in my cubicle and there's uh, there's two. There's one bunk bed and one flat bed, so there's room for three men here. But, but James is his name, and he's Korean. And he's he's there. He's got a little bit of English under his belt, not a lot, and uh, he welcomes me. He's a little standoffish. Uh, he's still nervous about being in prison, and he's only been there a week, I guess. And so I sit down on my bunk and introduce myself to James, and Johnny introduces me to James, and. Right away, Johnny's got a warning for me about the Korean gentleman. And so you quickly realize everybody's got something to say about everybody else. There's Everybody's got an opinion. And so I, I spend day one kind of getting oriented. Johnny walks me to the laundry to get my sheets and uh, some, some clothes to change into. Uh, Johnny then walks me over to the rec yard, which is the recreational yard. Johnny's in tremendous shape. It looks like Johnny's got quite a workout routine established. And, and I ask him about that because I'm in shape coming in and I want to stay in shape. So he, he immediately says that you'll, you'll be doing the routine with me. I'll, I'll wake you up when I wake up and we'll go do it together. So Johnny's befriending me, you know, just a complete stranger. We're getting along great. We take a few walks around the lap. A little laps around the track, and he, he identifies people from a distance, and not pointing at them, but discussing them and who they are and where they're from, and and how long they've been there and how much longer they're going to be there. And so he's orienting me to the yard and the people. And so this goes on all day. We then we then get interrupted to go to lunch. We then get interrupted. And by the way, we're doing lunch in the mess hall, which is the cafeteria. And the A unit goes, and the B unit goes, and the C unit goes, and the D unit goes. And you go in the, because there's not enough room in the cafeteria for everybody at the same time. So there's a segregation, and the segregation of when you go is directly based on who had the best inspection the week before. So every week, every unit is inspected, and they go cubicle to cubicle looking for cleanliness and order. And there's a specific thing about the beds, the lockers. I mean, it is, it's like military. Everything has got to be dialed in nicely. Now, I kind of like that. That's kind of the way I do my home. I'm, I'm really organized and neat, and I like it that way. My mind works better without chaos. 
but not a lot of guys are like that. And so this is kind of a rough adjustment for a lot of guys. Uh, so there's an inspection every week, and you you are supposed to daily have your uh, bunk ready for inspection daily, uh, knowing that it could randomly happen at any time. But there is a formal inspection by the warden and the assistant warden on a weekly basis, and they roll through with clipboards and checklists, and and you're out of the unit. You vacate the units. The whole unit is vacated while they go through it from cubicle to cubicle, inspecting everything. Now, in the A unit, there's a microwave room. There's a laundry room. There are TV rooms segregated by race, oddly enough. Uh, there's a black TV room, a white TV room, uh, an Islander, Pacific Islander TV room, which is where the Asians also uh, watch television. And then there's a Hispanic uh, TV room. Now, in our unit, oddly enough, the black uh, uh, folks have two rooms. Uh, they, they've got one for sports and, and one for news. And, and uh, there's a representative for each group. In a heavier-duty prison, they call them a shot caller. But in a camp, they're just a representative. And they're, they're, they represent their race when it comes to communicating with other inmates and when it comes to maybe a disagreement or a dispute or, or maybe the, the prison uh, leadership, the, the, the correction officers, may need to talk to the rep about something that he doesn't like or she doesn't like. And so the rep is, you know, representing your group. And so I immediately get introduced to our rep, which at the time was a guy's nickname. I want to say it was Montana. He was only there briefly. And then uh, he goes home, and the new guy's name is Greg. And so Greg is our rep. And Greg and I get to know each other really well. Uh, Greg becomes a dear friend. And Greg and I, uh, you know, we, we, we're hanging together every day. Greg, Greg and I are, get, become close. Uh, but but Johnny is my tour guide. And, and, and Johnny lives like in 35 below. So he's two doors down. He lives by himself. There's no one in his uh, three-bed cubicle. So it's just him. And he's got this unbelievable tradition of buying up every vegetable in the commissary, chopping it up, and making these fantastic spreads to add to whatever they serve us in prison. So he's supplementing his nutrition with these really fantastic vegetables and fruit. And, and so a lot of the inmates come to Johnny for uh, him to share with them his stuff. And he's very generous. He's sharing with everybody at mealtime, passing a bowl around to share his diced up spicy spicy fruits and vegetables. And so that's obvious. Johnny's a, a generous guy and uh, he's paid for all this stuff, but he's sharing it with everybody. And it's, it's creating a, a bit of goodwill. Well, uh, this is day one. I mean, it's basically like I would, I, I haven't been in the military, but I'm, I'm feeling like this must be what the military is like, except they get to leave, right? We, we're not leaving here. And they are under, you know, they're getting weapons training and everything. And obviously we're not brandishing weapons, but I, I envision the mess hall, the cafeteria, the way we're living, the way we're sleeping, the uncomfortable setting, the sharing of bathrooms, and there is no privacy, no privacy whatsoever. When people walk by your cubicle, if that's where you're um, trying to have a moment of silence or some privacy or read a book or whatever, uh, people just kind of are coming up all the time, talking and walking and stepping in. And there's a there's kind of an unwritten rule among inmates that you don't look into the cubicle because as you pass, if you're kind of nosy, you could just kind of look in everybody's cubicle. But it's understood you don't do that to create some semblance of privacy 
in the community there so that people feel like, you know, it's not invasive. But it is wide open, and the walls are only five feet high. And so a guy like me at six foot can just look right over the top of the wall. And there's guys much taller than me, and they can just look all the way down through all the cubicles and see who's home and who's in their cubicle and who's not and when it's empty and when it's not. And so you just realize right away there's this sense of trust. There's this sense of community. There's a sense of we're all in here together. We're all going to be in here together. None of us are leaving, so we need to we need to not only all get along, but we need to have some sense of trust. And you get that sense that there is a sense of trust amongst all the inmates, and so that's reassuring. First night sleeping, it took me probably two hours before I could get any sleep. I was just so wired up and nervous about sleeping on this uncomfortable bed. The, the mattress is about three quarters of an inch thick, and it's like something you'd lay on in a swimming pool except it won't hold air like a raft would in a swimming pool. So it's just the moment you lay on this pad, it immediately sinks into the steel of your bunk. And so you just feel steel on your back, wherever your pressure points are from your hips to your bones, your thighs, your backbone, your shoulder blades, any touch, you immediately feel the the, the steel underneath. So it's very uncomfortable. And you're shifting all night long from side to side. The pillow is probably three quarters of an inch thick too. So you're folding that thing over multiple times, trying to create some thickness to get it up to where your neck's not hurt just sleeping. So there's some tricks you get taught as the days go by here. And I'll share those with you. But night one is uncomfortable, but I feel like I'm surrounded by, you know, I I won't call them friends yet because I don't really know these men. But certainly friendly people. And uh, that's night one at tap.